Titus 3, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do what is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. It's God's word for us this morning. The, uh, the first word of our verses is really key for all of the verses that we read. And it's really actually a very important word in Scripture in general. Remind the people is how it starts out. Remind the people. And more often the Bible says, remember this. Remember. And this is even used of God in the Bible. God remembered His people. God remembered His promises. And what this is, is covenant language. And and covenant language means that it has to do with our relationship with God and His relationship with us. And if you think about it that way, that's the most important thing in all our lives, isn't it, friends? Our relationship with God, His relationship with us, that's what we're celebrating today in these professions of faith how God initiated a relationship with these students. They are His children, and now today they've said yes to their great and loving God. God says, I love you, my child, and they're saying, yes, God, I love you too. I love you too, like no other. I want you, Lord, to be the number one relationship in my life. Not that the other relationships I have in my life aren't important. They are important. But in you, God, all the other relationships in my life, from my family to my friends, with you first, then everything else makes sense. Everything else finds its meaning and purpose. The Apostle Paul is an older man now as he's writing this to the younger pastor Titus who is uh, serving uh, God's people on the island of Crete. And Paul's giving advice to Titus so he can shepherd 
the church there, and you think about that once, Paul, near the end of his life, the Apostle Paul who's seen it all, He's argued with philosophers in Athens, Greece. He was imprisoned for the faith. He was shipwrecked. He was chased out of town multiple times. Uh, When he was young, he went to Pharisee school. He had the very best education of the day. He knew the scriptures. He experienced life. We better listen. We better listen to Paul. Remind the people, Titus, he says in verse 1. Remember this. Don't forget. Keep this in mind. And biblical remembering, when the word remember is used in the Bible, covenant remember, remembering, and I know we've talked about this before, this isn't just something for our heads. It's not just for our minds. Biblical remembering, covenant remembering, is always calling something to mind in order to act, in order to respond. And when the Bible says God remembered his people early in the book of Exodus, their cries came to his ear, as it were, because they were slaves in Egypt. And he remembered them. He didn't remember them by opening a memory book, a book of photos, and and looking at them struggling and suffering there in Egypt, it's not that kind of remembering. He brought, he was brought, they were brought to his mind, and then he acted. He delivered them. He saved them. He did something. He took them out from there. And when God's people are called to remember, we're called to respond to It's remembering in order to act. Paul is building up this pastor and this church in the faith. He's talking to Savannah. He's talking to Kelly this morning and to all who have professed their faith and who love Jesus. I think this morning of Jonah and Elijah and Charles and Sidney and Eric who professed their faith two weeks ago. My children, keep this in mind about your faith. Bring this to mind in order to respond faithfully, in order to live for me in your life. Keep in mind first, he says, that your faith, this faith that we profess together, is for the church. He wants us to know this and to remember this. Don't forget this, people of God. Your faith is for the church. This was emphasized in chapter 2 of Titus. Teach the older men this, the older women this, and the younger women and the younger men. In short, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And sound doctrine is a doctrine for life. And Paul emphasizes, as he shows us this, that the church is built up, it's constructed in community. People relating to one another, in mentoring relationships, the older women training the younger, and and Titus himself is told to be an example to the men. And for each one of us, our faith is meant to be for building up 
the church. Your faith is for the building up of God's church. You are needed in this church. The church is for you to be blessed, but also for you to be a blessing for others. It's not just about taking, but also giving when we're here. Hebrews 10 urges that we don't neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, we read in Hebrews. But instead, says the writer of Hebrews, encourage one another. We can forget that and think, you know, I go to church, I go to worship, I go to attend a Bible study. Well, obviously for me. Obviously, it's for me. It's so that I can spiritually grow, so that I'm built on the faith. But it's for others, especially, that you're part of the church. Your faith is for others, so others can grow and be encouraged and learn from your experiences and your joys and sorrows and sufferings, too, as Pastor Matthew read when these young people joined the church I'm too tired to go to church. I can't handle all the questions about how I'm doing. I get that. I get that, all those questions all the time. It can be hard, but it's not just about you. Your faith, your life is for others. That is how God builds his church. Sophia is my third oldest daughter, She had a birthday this week, and she decided for this birthday, the 10th birthday, they get to do something a little extra special all the time, Um, and part of that is a sleepover, but then she had other ideas too. She wanted to invite the girls for this special birthday party uh, from her GEMS class. GEMS is our girls club here at church. Not her friends at school. Um, her friends from the church. And like most of the GEMS classes these days at Faith CRC, uh, one or two of those girls go to this church. A couple of the girls attend Timothy Christian. A couple other girls go to other schools. A couple of the girls are homeschooled. Just this beautiful variety of of young girls growing in Jesus. And, And we thought it was really cool that she wanted to invite those girls from her church group uh, for a party to work on a GEMS badge together. And they decided uh, to work on the crafting badge, which you could guess at GEMS there's going to be a crafting badge. For all I know, there are multiple crafting badges for GEMS. And so Sarah called up a woman in our church who is very crafty, not sneaky, crafty. She's good with crafts. I don't know any other way to say that. A craftsman, a craftswoman? No, that's not it either. She's very good at crafting. Um, Could we come to your house on Friday? Could you show these girls around? Uh, Show them the knitting that you do, the jewelry you make? Um, And that's just the tip of the iceberg and, and so on. She said yes. And so they started making plans and Later on, as they were talking about this, Sarah, uh, she told Sarah that the first place she learned to knit, she's an amazing knitter now, was in gems. Back then it was Calvinettes, but in the girls' club in the church. 
And so very interesting how it comes full circle. Our faith for the building up of the church from Sophia, age 10, and her friends who go to Gems, to Mrs. Engel, who is a grandma now. It's about interacting, fellowshipping with one another, the community of the faith. And Savannah and Kelly, other students, your faith is for the church. It's true for all of us. The church builds up our faith, of course, but more than that, let's not forget that our faith is for others. It's always for others, and it's especially for God's household and making it strong together. Last week's Sunday morning, we talked about pillars of giving, and we imagine those pillars building a strong household of faith, whether it's giving financially, giving our time, our talents. It takes all of us together to build the church up and to build it strong. And think about it this way. Um, Just like in your family, you play a special role, a special part with the gifts and the personality that God has given you, there would be a big hole if anyone around the dinner table weren't there anymore. In the same way, at a larger level, every person is an important part of the family of God. Your presence, friends, your service, your conversations, your voice joining with the piano and the organ and the worship team, singing in the congregation, your prayers, whether you're six years old or 96, God has you in this church for a reason. Your faith is for building others up. And I, and I hope and trust that you're finding your purpose in the ways that you can build this church up. And if you need help with that, come talk to me. Talk to Jonathan, talk to Pastor Matthew, or an elder or deacon. And so keep this in mind, friends, all of us. Your faith is for the church, and we live, and we relate, and we mature along the lines of Titus 2 and the many other places in Scripture that show us what faithful service and living in the church looks like. Keep in mind, second, that your faith is for the world. Your faith is for the world also. And this is where chapter 3 takes us. Chapter 2 is about the church, and then Paul shifts his focus. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, and so on, and to show true humility toward all men. And so in talking about our faith, he directs us to think about the church first, and then he has us move outward. And so your faith, friends, students, it's for the church, but it's also for the world. And in saying that our faith is for the world, it's interesting and I think timely 
for us living in 2017 that Paul talks about respecting those in authority. And I wonder if it's because in respecting those in authority over us, Christians have a very special and unique opportunity, in our day especially, to be living out their faith faithfully. John Calvin wrote about this verse, Nothing grieves people more than having to be subject to others. You hear that? That resonate a little bit? Nothing grieves people more than being subject to others. In other words, we just, our human tendency is to hate to be under anybody else. People's natural tendency is not to honor and not to respect those in authority over us. And we live, I think, in a day where there's such lack of respect for people in authority, for for lack of respect for parents, for teachers, for those in government, for leaders in the church. People want to be their own authority. People want to have their say. We want to be in charge. We don't want to have anybody else in charge of us. And I think it's timely as we think about the way people talk about our president and others in leadership. This is not new by any means with President Trump. People said very disrespectful things about President Obama, too. But it does seem to have reached a whole new level of low, hasn't it? We have campuses of millennials protesting, not my president, someone who was elected by the American people. People of faith, in contrast, respect rulers and authorities. In Romans 13, Paul goes into more detail on this subject. And we understand that because God is in control, because God is sovereign, because he puts rulers in place and takes them down again, when we respect those in authority over us, whoever it is, we are actually giving honor to God. And when we don't do that, in a sense, we're not just thumbing our nose at men, but at God who placed these men and women there to lead us in our lives. Whether we're talking about our president, whether we're talking about an elder in the church who might want to be praying for us and help us grow as a believer, whether we're talking about a teacher, a principal, a parent, our boss. And so it seems to me that lack of respect, which... I feel like we see around us today like never before. That's the world's way. The way of faith, the way of grace, Jesus' way is different. And and so with what Paul talks about in verse 1 of chapter 3, we have a tremendous opportunity to reach the world with our faith, to show a different way, humility, quiet patience, trust, hope in a greater kingdom, even while we work for change and justice and peace and seek kingdom values here, we know God is in charge. One person wrote that the imperfections of people in authority now, and all this isn't to say people in authority are perfect. They're not. Um, I know that as a parent, as a pastor, but 
if you think about it this way, the imperfections of people in authority now, one of the things it can do is help us look forward to and long for heaven when we're going to be ruled perfectly by God himself from his throne. And it helps us in the challenges today to realize that this world is not our home, that we've got a better home waiting for us. That faith for the world extends to how we act toward everybody, not just those in authority. Verse 2, slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, show true humility toward all men. Very easy to people who are nice and good leaders and kind and loving, but for a believer it applies to everybody. People who are nice to us, people who aren't, people who we might clash with in terms of our personalities, whether it's a a parent and a child or a boss. Even our enemies this applies to. And so God's Word says to us this morning, keep in mind that your faith is for the church, friends, to build it up, to strengthen up God's people. And more than that, keep in mind that your faith is for the world. Your faith is not just something inside your heart. It's not just something for when we worship, when we wear nice clothes and enter this building, but it's for when you're mowing your lawn as you're talking over the fence with the neighbor in the store at work. We live with an outward view with our faith. And it's interesting that Paul's primary emphasis is our actions, how we live how we behave when we're talking about the world. He doesn't say, uh, keep in mind this or that sermon or have a little sermon tucked away so that you can preach to someone out in the world. Oh, I think we need to have Scripture in our hearts and minds. We need to have words ready to speak and give an account for our faith. But we see here that it's about doing good. It's about acting in faith. Like our catechism says, we do good so that our neighbors may be won over to Christ. One other thought this morning. Keep in mind that your faith is for you. Your faith is for you. And this is verse 3 through 8. And those verses have one of the more powerful and beautiful summaries of our faith in all the Bible. And it's all about bringing the faith home to each one of our hearts. Paul says to each one of us, you too, you were this way, you were like the world. You were foolish and disobedient, deceived, enslaved by passions, pleasures, living in malice and envy, being hated hating others. It's a really dark picture of our lives without Jesus. But then we get a breath of fresh air in verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. The short of this beautiful summary of the faith is that we're not saved by anything we've done, but we're saved by God's grace lest we think it's about us, lest we think we've arrived in terms of being just the ideal and perfect church member, 
or the perfect witness in the world. We're reminded it's about him. It's not our good works. It's God's work in Jesus. Your faith is from him. And so keep in mind that your faith is for the church, for the world, but especially it's for you. Remember what God has done for you, who he's forming you to be for his glory. He sent Jesus for the world, but he sent him even for you and for me, for each one of us. We don't deserve God's grace. We're stubborn. We're selfish. We're sinners. But yet God loves us. This faith that we profess, it's a precious gift and treasure to cherish, to nurture, to use, to live. And so take this treasure that's been passed down to you, pass it down to others in the church outside of it. This faith, I promise you, it will see you all the way through to the end of your life. This faith will see you through every situation. When your family and friends are frustrating to you, remember God loves you. When your marriage or your work is frustrating, you have this faith that will never, ever let you down. When you feel lonely, when your future is uncertain, Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what the future will bring or take away from us. We have it all. You are an heir of your heavenly Father. You have the hope of eternal life. So keep in mind, remember, don't forget your faith. This faith that we profess centered on Jesus Christ. It's for the church Even for this church, it's for the world, and especially, it's for you this morning. And so take it, receive it, receive Jesus, proclaim his name like these students two weeks ago and today. And if you haven't professed faith, receive Jesus in your hearts. Boys and girls, get excited about one day making profession of faith in the church yourself. Live for him in the church, in the world, and nurture in your hearts this most precious of relationships that no one can ever take away, no matter what you're going through, no matter what may come. God loves you, friends. The proof is Jesus and his coming in the cross. This precious faith that we're talking about In case you wonder, it's for you this morning. It's even for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've left undone in your life. Amen.